Well, we're uh, we're 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 sparse today. I don't know where everybody is, but uh, uh, we'll get started on time anyway. So we're um, we're finishing up. Well, maybe finishing up. I think we're going to finish up Joel next week because I think there's. Uh, I don't want to rush through uh, the section that we we're looking at today. It just has too much to too much to say for us. So anyway, I don't think we want to we want to rush it too much. So before we get started, though, why don't we have a prayer? Gracious Lord, there's so much of the words in your in your Bible that are so important to us today and the meaning in our lives today in the church today. Father, I want you to open this up in our minds as we as we look at the the end of the uh, second chapter of Joel and as we look into uh, to what happens when we turn and return to you, Father when we follow the, uh, your request that we come back to you, the blessings that you pour on us. And Father, the blessings that you promise to pour on all people through, your, through uh, the outpouring of your Spirit. Guide us, Father, in the studies we continue. And bless us in, as, in the discussions we have. And may your Spirit always be with us here. And we ask this prayer and, and these blessings in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Just to jump back real quickly, we have uh, locusts that come. Uh, locusts are, uh, in those days still, are a terrible scourge. They will literally uh, wipe every bit of vegetation off the face of the earth until they stop, until they die out and the, and the swarm stopped. And when they had this, Joel's message was, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your hearts, not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for his gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's uh, verses uh, uh, 12, 13, and 12 and 13 of chapter 2. So, they do this, apparently. And then we start in verse 18. Uh, the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his, on his people. And they replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make an object of, you an object of scorn for, to the nations. I will drive the northern horde away from you, pushing it into parched and barren lands. Uh, he goes on further saying, Do not be afraid, land of Judah, be glad and rejoice. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. Trees are bearing fruit. The fig trees and the vine yield their riches. So, and then he finishes up in the 27th verse. Then you will know that I am in Israel, and I am the Lord your God, 
that there is no other, never again will my people be shamed. So we have this answer that God has. You've, you've done what I asked. You've returned to me. You've admitted, you, you've, you've uh, repented, uh, you've mourned, you've rent your hearts, and you've come back to me, and this is the blessing I'm going to have. And so if we look at this whole thing, this really ends the whole first section of Joel, which was started out with the, with the locusts, and the locusts being sent by God to try to catch the attention of the people of Judah in this particular case, and their return to him, and then his blessings because of that return. Uh, remember, we don't know when Joel was written. And probably the, the most scholars, I'm not really one, but most scholars are assuming that Joel was written rather, uh, rather late, uh, probably uh, after the return from the exile, and is, so this is looking at something that happened maybe uh, the, the time frame of uh, 500 B.C., 400 B.C., maybe. They aren't sure. There's nothing in the text which would lead you to believe anywhere about a time frame from this. All we know is this, these locusts hit and we get down at the end here and after they've repented, after they've turned back to God, he then uh, restores their land form and blesses them. So that's what God does. He's gracious, compassionate, and when we turn back to him, he makes everything new, everything, everything good. And we need to focus on that, and that's the first half of Joel. Then he changes pace. Uh, this all occurs uh, after the after the uh, swarm of locusts, and then we get into the twenty eighth verse through the thirty second, and this one is very, very, very difficult to figure out exactly. And it's difficult because we don't want to hear the hear what I think the answer is. And maybe it's because we just don't know what the answer is and we're afraid of it. But we'll begin this on the, he begins with the and afterward. Later on, no time frame given, no knowledge of when this is going to happen. But it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in heaven and earth and blood, fire, and billows of smoke. We'll get to that last verse and the ones that followed, and the next one that follows them in a few moments or in a little while. I want to focus on these, the list that he has here of who he's going to pour his spirit out on. 
and the and the and I, I don't know exactly what the what the Hebrew would say on this, but the the vision that I see is just this pouring on. You know, it's like you take a bucket of water and pour it over someone's head. The spirit is just going to pour on them. It's not going to be just being brushed by it, but it's being engulfed by it, uh, baptized by it, if you like. If you look at the look later on, and there's a list of the people that will that he talks about. First of all, it's on all people. And then he lists sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. That's a nice thing sometimes. As an old man, dreaming dreams would be good, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not blessed with that. Um, but getting back to it, really, old men will dream dreams. It's uh, dreams sent from God that have meaning. Something like uh, Joseph might have had. Or maybe not as uh, not as momentous as that. But young men will see visions. And even my servants. Now I'm not sure what that means. Servant could also mean slaves. But even but on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What do we know about the fulfillment of this? Where do we find the fulfillment? Peter. Peter. Good. Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, uh, if you remember, uh, the, uh, they were told to uh, go out and you know, stay in Jerusalem uh, and wait for the, for the uh, Holy Spirit to baptize them, anoint them, cover, wash over them, pour over them. But wait, it'll be coming. So wait in Jerusalem for that. Day of Pentecost arise. Pentecost is one of the major Jewish holidays, ones that they are required to come to celebrate at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is filled with people from all over, Jews from all over the Mediterranean. And the Spirit comes on the believers. There are about 120, I think it was. And they start, there's flames of fire, and then they start uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, I'm not sure what that exactly means. Foreign languages, maybe, probably. Uh, because people out there that were from all different lands could understand what they were saying. And then someone or some group of them, uh, says, you know, these guys are just drunk. And Peter then uses this as a springboard. No, we, they aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Come on. They aren't drunk. But this is what Joel meant in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 28. And 29, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Uh, your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even my servants, both 
men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so Peter, and let's just turn to that, uh, Acts chapter 2, because there's a couple of things we need to note. Well, first of all, when Joel was saying this, who's he talking to? In Pardon? Joel. I get confused sometimes, but it's Joel. Who's Joel speaking to? Uh, was he speaking to uh, Jews alone at this time? He's talking to Israelites. This is what's going to happen, you Israelites. And I think that's important to recognize uh, from the standpoint of, of how this applies uh, in its fulfillment. Uh, we find when Peter gets up, and this is in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 14, he stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Follow, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what do I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what the prophet was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out all, on all people, your sons, daughters will prophesy, and so on, so on, as we've read a couple of times. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God uh, did among you through him and yourselves, and you yourselves know. And then he goes on with basically uh, the message about Jesus. Who's Peter talking to? Well, he's talking to everyone, but what? What? they're Israelites. He's talking to the Israelites. And others, but Israelites really was his audience. Uh, the people that he, that are, that the Spirit has been poured out on. Who are they? What, what, are they Gentiles? Or Israelites? Israelites. So Peter is talking to Israelites about Israelites, saying the fulfillment of Joel is, is here at hand. So Peter doesn't have the full vision yet. He's seeing this as all people, meaning all the Israelites. My opinion. I can't say for certain whether that what Peter was thinking, but that's certainly the way he's acting. Um, Why? Yes. Probably uh, Acts ten this deal with Cornelius. Yeah. He still didn't understand that the gospel was for all people, so I think you're right. Yeah. And in fact, that's thank you for heading me right down that road because that's where I'm headed. Uh, the interesting part was Samaria. Now, now we had, had the evangelists that went out, and they even went to Samaria. And there wasn't too much of a hue and cry about that. Samaritans were never considered uh, to be true Jews. So the church, but it didn't seem to scream about it. However, Peter goes down to Joppa, and it's, uh, it's lunchtime. He's set, sitting up there, up there on the top of the of uh, of Simon Tanner's uh, house, and he's uh, 
getting a cool breeze blowing on my pose, and he has, he goes into a trance and has a vision. And the vision is a sheet of all sorts of foods which are unclean come down, and the angel bring, doing this says, Peter, kill and eat. What's Peter's reaction to this? No, I can't do that. I have never eaten anything unclean. And the angel then corrects them. If God says it's clean, then it's clean. Paraphrased a bit. But basically it is, If uh, don't say anything is unclean if God has made it clean. This happens three times, right? Everybody knows the story. And then after the third time, there's a knock on the door, and it's a group of people being sent to for Peter at at uh, at Simon's house. Uh, they knew he was there, and they're coming from Caesarea and from a centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius said an angel had come to him and had told him to send for Peter, and Peter wouldn't then uh, come and know what to do, basically. So Peter says, okay. He's starting to add. He's learning one and one. and Oh, look at that. The, God is moving somewhere, doing something. And so Peter goes to Caesarea, and he starts, and he gets, start, brings the message of Christ to the Gentiles. Well, what happens? What happens to the Gentiles there? Pardon? Spirit came on them. Spirit came on them. Just, it, it's almost, no tongues of fire, but it's, it's basically, you're seeing Pentecost all over again. Only it's the Gentiles. Peter's amazed. But he gets the, the, but he gets the answer right. How can I refuse baptism when the, God has poured out his spirit on these people. So they're baptized. What happens when Jesus gets well, Jesus? What happens when Peter gets back into town? He gets called on the carpet for doing such a terrible thing. Yeah, he gets called on the carpet. The church is not the church is a sect of Judaism. We are Jews that follow the way, which is to say Jesus. We're Jews. We are not Gentiles. So Peter then explains uh, what, what was uh, going on, what happened, and why he did what he did. And they all were amazed at what God had done. And in chapter 11, um, they... Verse 18, when they heard this, that's the, the, the uh, believers in Jerusalem, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the, to Gentile God, Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they get that message now. They still didn't quite get it straight, but we'll get back to that in a few minutes. Because the, the church, the growth of the church and the maturing of the church 
and the understanding of the church of this message in Joel takes a long time. This isn't instantaneous. Um, and so the next time we look in, in Antioch, well, they, they go to, they have some, um, they go out into Antioch in uh, Syria and they, and they go out to the, uh, reach out to the, to the Jews. And then they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the, of the Lord Jesus. And, Je and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So what is God trying to do here? What was God trying to do? Keith? I think he was revealing his future plans because here in Joel, he said, all flesh. Mm -hmm. A Jew standing there probably meant all your people. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, my brain doesn't let me remember all these things. There's bits and pieces all through up until Peter. Uh, he really revealed that he comes to understand it. Yeah, God is, God is it, through his prophets, has, has basically been trying to get them in that mindset that I'm not, I'm not looking just for you alone, that you're sort of a seed, you might say. And, but God is being very gentle with Peter, and he's, and he's nudging him along so that Peter can see the true meaning of what he had spoken of when he was prophesying uh, when he took this, this prophecy from Joel and extended it to the church extended it to the outpouring of the spirit on all flesh and God is gently telling Peter when I said all people I meant all must have been kind of shocking for both sides mm -hmm. for the Jews who have and told, we are the chosen people for their entire life and to allow these people in and then for these people to say those Jews that hate us want what? I can just see. It, it spawned a few books from Paul. Did it separate the church from the, the Jew Christians and the um, Gentile Christians? Yes it did. <clears throat> uh, what we see here is, a, is, is uh, as you would expect I'm, I'm, I'm not. Believers tend to be very conservative. Uh, in that they're saying that uh, I've I know what God wants of me, and I don't want to do anything different. Um, and God sometimes then just has to gently remind them that maybe you don't know what I want. Uh, certainly with Peter, we see that happening. With the church, you know, not, it's, it's just a few chapters later that they come back and they have, a, have the uh, Council of Jerusalem. What's it over? What it's all about? Well, do all these Gentiles have to follow the law of Moses? And, of course, I think the main one was when he said that, they meant dietary laws, but they also meant circumcision. And then Peter reminds them of the Cornelius event, 
and how God is reaching out to the Gentiles and that probably don't have to follow the law, we don't have to follow the law of Moses except please refrain from sexual immorality from uh, strangled an animals who's been strangled for uh, to uh, prepare them for meal instead of the normal kosher draining of the blood uh, and so and uh, let's see I can't remember the third sexual immorality uh, blood sacrifice, uh, animal sacrifice to idols. And and that was it. Eating blood. Eating blood. Yeah. And that is a compromise that they made with the Jerusalem church. It, the compromise, and depending upon how you want to read Galatians, um, may have uh, still been a little fluid because uh, we find that that uh, certain Christians came up from Jerusalem and they uh, they enticed Peter with to the draw from the Gentiles Paul called Peter out on the carpet again and told him you know when they aren't here you act like a Gentile when they are here you suddenly gonna become a Jew so slowly this comes along. I think it's going to take 20, 30 years for them to wake up and figure out the message that Joel put out. As God said, when I said all people, I meant all people, Jews and Gentiles. So we start there, and um, so we have all, all the Gentiles, all the Jews and Gentiles are now... Um, going to have their spirit, God's spirit poured out on them. What was the purpose of God's spirit being poured out on them? Why would God pour out a spirit on them? Evidence. Evidence? Good. Um, were they to keep this secret from themselves? He poured out of, he gave me visions, but I can't tell anybody. Uh, I, I dreamt dreams, but I, I can't tell you about it. What was the purpose for this, these spirit-filled events? Well, they definitely promoted the gospel and, and built up the start of the church among the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay. It was evidence, but it was edification, wasn't it? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna send you a dream, just for you personally. Maybe it might have been, but if it's general in nature, I want you to share that with the rest of the of the believers. It's a message for me to them through you. Uh, a prophecy. Prophecy is speaking for God, not necessarily telling the future. It's speaking for God. I sent you a prophecy. What right do you have to hold it to yourself? We're told by prophets uh, in, in uh, actually I think even Amos mentions it since we just finished Amos up, but certainly Jeremiah, I just didn't want to even say it. I was just couldn't, I tried to hold it in, but I couldn't. You get these prophecies, you have to say it. So, 
we have the prophecies coming in, we have the visions coming in, we have uh, dreams coming in. To whom? Men and women. Men and women. All ages. All ages. Sons and daughters. All calls of life, servants. Uh, and you know, it's hard to say what they mean by servants, but I, I, I would imagine they're talking about uh, uh, the slaves in those days. Uh, young men, old men. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? In the church. Louder, he can't hear. Oh yes, I can't hear. By the way. Aren't we right there with them? Okay. How's so? up? Well, because when Jesus said that he was going to send a comforter, he was going to send it to everyone, because now our bodies are the temple, so God's spirit comes to dwell in us. Right. And he gives them special gifts to use for the church, for sanctification to grow and to be strengthened to encourage the brothers and sisters. So, where does that where, where does that fit today? Remember, God meant everyone. Where does it fit today? Let's let, let's let's uh, uh, let's let's remember that he's pouring it out on everyone, young and old. Men and women, and they prophesy, dream, see visions, uh, and we find in uh, what goes on in the church, the reality of it, is that there are some people that disagree with your prophecy, or your vision, or your dream, or how you interpret that prophecy, or dream, or whatever. And so, in, certain, in some churches, we know of at least two or three, but we certainly 1 Corinthians, which is the poster child for uh, all things that can go wrong in, in the church. Uh, even though, in the 11th chapter, he's telling them how women should prophesy and pray, and it's the only, the only way I can uh, look at it is that it's prophesy and pray in the assembly. Uh, I don't think there was a prescription for uh, where women could not or were prescribed from uh, praying on their own in the privacy in privacy. So this is a public event. And yet a couple of chapters later, he says they need to be quiet in the, in the assembly, and if they have any questions, ask their husbands when they get home. Has a couple of problems with that. One. Uh, uh, we need to look at the problem. The problem was disruptive women in the congregation shouting people down, probably. Uh, and you need to go talk to your husband at home. Uh, chapter 7, I think it is, where he says women probably shouldn't be marrying. <laughs> okay. Paul contradicting himself? He's telling him in this, these times are, are difficult. It's probably best if you don't marry. Matter of fact, if you don't marry, you don't have to, you're not dragged off into your marital uh, 
uh, your marital, what do you not requirements, your, your marital job, you might say, duties, and, uh, and you're free to, to work for God alone. Was he talking about Christian women marrying non-Christian men? No, not at that point. And so it doesn't quite jibe with, with fifth, chapter 15, I think, of 1 Corinthians. First time, be quiet, go home, talk to your husbands about it, they'll explain it to you. What's really going on is they got disruptive women. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 goes on more. These are two, our two uh, best uh, examples and the ones that worry us most about uh, the use of women in the uh, assembly. And it's in chapter 2, he's pretty clear, it seems, except the context of it, again, when you get past that is, oh, you got a bunch of busy butters, buddies uh, running around your church causing trouble and, and interrupting things. So is Paul saying that for the disruptive women, we need to shape this whole group of women who have been had the Spirit of God poured out on them and make them keep their mouths shut? Or is he saying, for the disruptive women, please keep your mouth shut. And in, that would say then that, uh, in that respect, the submissive women who are not disrupting but are using their gift that God has given them for constructive purposes, that these women should continue to use those gifts and those prophecies and the and and such that the Spirit is poured out on them in the assembly. Which is it? And I can't answer that question. I'm not really going to jump into it. I know my opinion on the matter is that I think we've gotten ourselves a little off. Yes, Keith? Well, the training wheels have come off. Mm-hmm. As I talked about my little parable there, but uh, they have new liberties. Yeah. And God wants to see where they're going with them. And they take it to the extreme. Once again, man's mind comes in now. They were told how to live their life as Jews, or servers of God. But now they have liberties, and everybody that gets liberties, they take it to whatever advantage they wanted to, and they go different directions. And those directions need to be brought back to the reminded of the times that they were under law and God's mind of how he wants to live. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that we're not under the law. We're under a different law, if you like. It's not, it's not a written law. It's written on our hearts uh, through the Spirit. And so uh, we, I, I think we as Christians, uh, like most people who are religious, who believe in a God or believe in God, they really don't want to change. There's a fear element about changing. Uh, and there's, and so uh, this is just one. Why would God pour out a spirit on women if he doesn't want them to, to express uh, the benefits that that spirit has poured out on them? I don't know. Can't answer that question. 
But why would God do that? Why would God give gifts to someone uh, if they were not allowed to use those gifts? Do we are we are we mistaking what uh, some of Paul's writings are on this matter? Well, if he doesn't say you women who have this gift stop talking, he just says in general. So you don't know if mm-hmm. he's talking about those women or if he's talking about some other. So it's not probably a good topic to go down and speculate that he's talking about women with gifts. But we know the women had gifts. No, no, um, yeah, the, 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 the rest, yeah, the disruptive ones, yeah. So, I mean, because you, you don't know. You don't know. Not. You know absolutely nothing about it, about the situation, other than this was his answer. Tell him to keep quiet. Well, maybe he was talking about, like, in the middle of worship. I mean, could you imagine if, um, and he was preaching and you had everybody standing up talking while he was preaching and yelling at him? It would be chaos. And, right. And so I'm thinking that maybe he's, that maybe that's kind of the way it was because at that point there was a lot of unruly people who were coming into the church you know they had a lot of harlots and stuff that were trying to get saved and stuff you know so they didn't really like know how to be in conversation yeah i don't know maybe i mean he's he's saying basically you got all this stuff going on what's the visitor gonna think when they see this these guys are crazy uh and so he Make some rules, at least for Corinth, and maybe for and maybe general. I, I'm not going to say it's only Corinth, uh, which seem to tell women that they got to keep their mouths shut because they were the disruption. That's what it appears. Uh, and so it's it's not an easy answer. I'm not going to say this is means this because it it's not clear. But Joel implies, and Peter, by the uh, extension when he actually says the fulfillment of this section of Joel is the day of Pentecost. Joel says all people, and men and women, young and old, sons and daughters, old men, young men, Spirit's going to pour out on them. And my feeling is that God does not intend to pour out a spirit on you so that you can sit on it quietly in your back room and not let anybody know the joyful message you've just received from God. Peter was speaking his opinion. He was possessed by the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. That's right. When he was quoting Joel. None of this, it's not as though Peter wrote this down beforehand. He just uses it as a springboard to to get the message. I mean, he was led by the Spirit by this. And that's that's one of the things. But I think he's thinking in the back, he's a Jew. This is for the Jews. And then God comes and reminds him, no, I'm in everybody. But even for the Jews, it would be difficult. Betty? I think if God gives you a gift, you should use it, but use it in a godly way. That's good. That's a good way to put it. We need to use the gifts that God gives us in a godly way. And that, I think, is what Paul is addressing in a few of these other sections. So it's a, there's, a, there's a big, big, big brouhaha, you might say, over what does this mean. For instance, uh, 
Pentecostalism. Are they more right than we are? Because they certainly believe in the, in, in the, uh, in the spiritual gifts that have been poured out on them, and they use them, use them frequently, and we say, well, I don't see you anymore. Now, do we not see it because God is not pouring his spirit on us, or we do not see it because it's not there? Uh, that's another subject, don't want to go into it. Uh, but it's difficult. None of this is easy, and when you and and all this is being spawned off two verses in Joel. That's how that's how uh, powerful this prophecy is. And I think in today's world we need to start thinking: What does God mean by all people, and how does God intend to use those gifts, and are we using it as the in the way that God wants us to use it? not easy and I don't want to want to make it sound easy or doctrinaire it isn't it's very difficult as a uh, 77 year old man uh, who has been in the church for 40 years or more um, and I'm used to it the way we do it, it must be correct is it I'm rethinking but We'll leave it off there on this section. And now if we go again back to Joel, in the 30th verse, he shifts a little bit more. He begins with afterward. And then he goes on, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is he talking about? He shifted times, and he's now gone from this outpouring of the Spirit, which we know is the beginning of the church, at least from Peter's uh, use of it, the saying that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. But here we come into one of quite definitely end times. Quite definitely this is the day, the final day of, of the Lord. Uh, remember what the day of the Lord means. Uh, there can be many days of the Lord, uh, and but it means time of judgment. God's judging. And in this particular case, we're looking at the final judgment. Just a question. Yeah. If by Peter repeating this section of Joel uh, is the fulfillment of it, he doesn't just repeat verse Joel 28 and 29. He also repeats all the way through down mm -hmm. uh, verses 30, 30 and 31 as well. Yeah. So how is it that the fulfillment of 28 29 is Pentecost, but his same speech of 30 and 31 is not fulfilled at Pentecost? Thank you. How do we make that difference? How do we make that? That's the, that's the one at the end is that uh, this fulfillment is, is really saying that uh, is, is, uh, is looked you have to look at the 32nd verse. Uh, so this appears to be end time type talking, day of judgment. Uh, Jesus uses these the same kind of, of um, metaphors uh, of uh, signs and wonders and heavens and earth and darkness and the sun will turn 
and the darkness, the moon, the blood, to tell you this is coming down at the end time. So the first is the beginnings of the church, and this is what he says in the 32nd verse. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the saviors who call whom the Lord calls. So your answer is, we got the beginning of the church, and these are the people, the church is going to save these people in the end times. And I think that, I think that basically answers your question on that, Scott. Not really, but I'll still say. Okay, well, it, it's just basically that uh, this whole prophecy is the church and the purpose of the church to save everyone. And let's, let's look at a couple of things uh, in that respect, and we'll turn to uh, Galatians. Paul is one of my favorite writers. I mean, I, I, get, I like to get dragged down in the dirt on some things, but he is probably the first Christian theologian, and he certainly uh, tells us a great deal about uh, about how we're to live and uh, how how we are to live and what it means. What what's all this God? What does God mean? How do we live in this life? And and he looks in the uh, if we go to. Uh, Galatians 3, and I'm going to back up a little bit uh, to verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. A beautiful metaphor, by the way. Um, and, uh, but we don't have much time to, to talk too much about that. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. You belong to Christ, and you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Notice how he's shifted this meaning of all people. He's done it in a very, very interesting way. Uh, he's eliminated all, all barriers. Uh, you're neither Jew nor Gentile. You're all one. Uh, neither male nor female, all one, doesn't matter. In God's eyes, you're all the same. And you're still, and uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So he's, he's taking this by more or less moving it that the true seed of Abraham are the Christians. Are those, are those are the believers in Jesus Christ. He goes in Romans 10, uh, Romans, uh, if I can find it, Romans 10, uh, 12 and 13, he again uses this language from Joel. So if I can get over there, my fingers don't work nearly as well as they did 50 years ago. 
Uh, Joel, just uh, go to uh, chapter 10 and look in particular around 12, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll back up to 11, verse 11. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him, Christ Jesus, will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Joel chapter 2 verse 32. Who's going to be saved? Go back to Joel chapter 32, oh, chapter 2 verse 2. Um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Lord there is Yahweh. Paul moves that to Christ Jesus. Is he wrong? No. Spirit. You have to remember the Spirit is what caused these to be written. Christ Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh is Christ Jesus. John first chapter. They are one. So, this is a rather uh, interesting but important series of four verses in Christianity. We can't just ignore them. We have to understand, and I don't fully understand what it is, but as God reminded Peter when I said all people, I meant all people. The first battle was Jews versus Gentiles. Uh, then there's the question of well, placing the place of women uh, that we currently are battling today. Uh, the place of, uh, of slaves. We see that in... Uh, going on. What do you do when I've got a slave and it's my brother? Well, Paul addresses that a little bit. Slavery was legal then and considered normal in the Roman Empire, I think. One, one place I was reading is maybe 40 to 50 percent of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, and it was Christianity that freed them. So, that's all I have for today. Next week we will go into the third chapter uh, which is the second, which is another uh, set of prophecies, uh, this time pretty much end time. And, uh, and finally, with uh, all of these prophets, is when it comes out and God says, but there'll be blessings. So we'll see you next week, and thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.